stop. Sure you want the rest of it? Welcome to Dirty Harry Minute, the only podcast to review the 1971 classic film, one minute at a time. But baby, that was years ago. Bit of an Australian classic song there for you. I'm your host, John, and I'm here to introduce our audio commentary track for The Enforcer. You might also want to have a listen to our review episode where we analysed this mess of a third Dirty Harry film as a whole and tried to give you an overview of its place in the Dirty Harry series. We were fortunate enough to be guested on that episode with the delightful Walt Murray of the Wilder Ride podcast. A great podcast that started out reviewing every Gene Wilder movie one minute at a time before the pandemic began. Uh, It's a great podcast, please check it out, and thank you so much to Walt for sharing your insights, it was a pleasure to have you on. But I've decided to do this audio commentary by myself to see if I could do it, and it's a bit of a challenge, I think, with no one else there to bounce off, and hopefully you can still stand my annoying voice, and I I hope I've done okay, I think I have. On a technical note, we will be using the latest US version of the Enforcer, uh, the Blu-ray version, which clocks in uh, at 96 minutes 36 seconds. So see if you can find that one to best listen to this commentary alongside of. That's about it. Uh, So yeah, do yourself a favour, check out the Wilder Ride podcast, if you haven't already. Also, this means something, the podcast reviewing every minute of Close Encounters of the Third Kind. In the meantime, I hope you're keeping safe in these COVID times. Make sure you wash your colour hands. Get it? Uh, At the conclusion of this piece of music you're hearing now, you'll hear me counting down to when you can press play on your copy of The Enforcer. Enjoy! Five, four, three, two, one, play. The red Warner Brothers logo. Three backspaces. Mel Paso, we have a yellow sports car. And we're coming up on, ooh, buttocks. Now this character looks like a cross between Helen Hunt and Jodie Foster, what do you think? Numb nuts. In the novelization, she says, fuck off, fatso.
Corned beef and cabbage. Fuck, what a special. Now, the director says these non-major roles were all filled from the Bay Area. This actress, um, funnily enough, appears in a later Cagney and Lacey episode with Tyne Daly. So there you go. Ice cold beers. The guy on the left looks like a poor man's Harry Dean Stanton. What do you think? In the novelization, this character, Mickey, we find out she's 23. She grew up in Palo Alto. She's an ex-cheerleader. And she's been a hooker for around three years and enjoys her pimp, Bobby's Cambodian grass. Would have been a hard thing to find in 76 after the Pol Pot had taken over. Nice ride in the countryside. Now she's presumably taking these two chumps to their compound. I wonder if Mickey does that laundry on the line. Wherever they are, they've got a great view. Now she's going to make good on those ice-cold beer promises. Harry Dean Stanton making his way awkwardly out. Pulling out a pack of cigarettes. It's funny in 70s movies, people still get out of a car to smoke when in the 70s you could smoke anywhere. (laughs) You could smoke inside an elevator even. We see a guy through the windscreen in the background with something over his shoulder. Ooh, look at that atomic bomb bomb on the van. Hot tuna. Ooh, those blue eyes. He's got some designer George Michael stubble. Now, this actor's name is Deveron Goldwater. A Shakespearean actor, apparently. He hasn't been in too much. Died early. He plays one of the... Good guys in uh, Omega Man. And he's about to stab Harry. Those eyes. The internet says that this um, brass knuckle sort of hilt knife is a World War I era trench knife. Maybe a nod to Scorpio. The uh, bad guy's got some Axis bad guy weapons from history. Oh. That's either good or bad squib work, I'm not sure. The obligatory helicopter shot. The enforcer. Harry Gardino. One of our favourites in the original movie is back. A helicopter filming another helicopter, the irony. That's a view, I think, of the Embarcadero or the main 
main part of San Francisco. There we go. Deveron Bookwater. Walter, sorry. In the novelization, it says Bobby is 28. He's described as moving like a cat. And, quote, Killing gave him a charge. His first kill was a VC sniper hidden in a muck of rice paddy in Da Nang. Harry, here he is, our hero, looking around. The music here is very, very reminiscent of TV work, I think. Streets of San Francisco comes to mind. What is Harry thinking driving bored with the Giorgio? Does he see a breeding ground of crime? Or does he see the beauty of San Francisco? A lot of credits there for the writing team. Streetcar, directed by James Fargo. Is it a walkie-talkie? Rather than a radio? Are they driving some sort of station wagon? What is it? Station wagon cops. That's small. What on earth is DiGiorgio wearing? Oh, pay attention in yellow, the building there. Aesop Films. Remember that for later. <laughs> Maitre D. <laughs> Come on, it's a heart attack. Is he supposed to be camp, like 70s camp? Okay. A lot of people standing around doing nothing, but Harry's here. A heart attack. This guy is credited as Freddy the Fainter. He must have been a San Fran actor because I notice he's also he was on he was in Invasion of the Body Snatchers, where he played a character called Harry, <laughs> Mrs. Doubtfire, and even Blue Jasmine. Um, and more, more importantly, in Sudden Impact, he plays uh, sort of Harry's early partner. See, it's just white guys fooling around, you know? White guys are just, you know, hucksters and trying to get a free lunch. In the novel now, before going to the call... Uh, Harry and Linguini grab lunch, at which you find out is two quarter pounders and a big Coke. And DiGiorgio asks him, how does he keep his weight in check? And Harry says, I take Geritol. Pump action shotguns. Very popular in the 70s. What is DiGiorgio wearing? Some sort of hunting jacket. 
One of these hoods was in Hill Street Blues. I love how American cops, they all say, you know, like, San Francisco's finest and New York's finest. As a foreigner, I always just think food. What was that cop muttering? Harry's going in. Yeah, you do that, Linguini. Minna Street. In the novel, too, DiGiorgio's asking Harry out for dinner many times, for lasagna. <laughs> and uh, Harry says, I don't need a girlfriend, you know. They're trying to set him up with someone. Spread Eagle. Remember that for the end of the film as well. It comes up again. Look at those flares. He didn't spit. That was stage spitting. Shag carpet, pink pants. He's not clean, he's dirty Harry. You want a car? You gonna go to the airport like Scorpio, dickhead? Is he touching his ass? Now, apparently, what you're about to see, that kick in Harry's ass was apparently Jim Fargo's idea, and Harry, uh, Clint had no idea. (laughs) So that's a real reaction you're seeing. IMDB says that uh, one of the robbers has a double-barrel shotgun, but you hear a pumping sound. And also the future bullet holes in the windscreen are actually Vaseline. Damage. Olympia beer. That figures a few times in... A couple of times in Harry movies. In the novel, Harry has shot one of them in the dick. Not just in the back. I 
our first appearance of Bradford Dillman. He also appears in Sudden Impact. Giving a great chewing out of Dirty Harry here. Excessive use of force. In the first movie, they praised him for uh, the bank robbery, but a few years later, it's uh, horrible. Get with the times, Harry. Some bad ADR of um, Bradford in this scene. When he said not to mention. <laughs> Trick or treat. <laughs> Come on, Harry. I know Bradford best from Piranha, uh, Sudden Impact, and uh, the third Apes movie, where he plays a nice guy. Gardino, isn't he like a poor man's Pacino? Doesn't get to say anything. <laughs> Fargo says this was his line, assholes. Uh, it's not in the novelization, so probably that's true. And it was a later addition to the script. Fargo said that the first two movies, Harry movies, were very serious, and he wanted to inject a little bit more humor where he could. As we talked about in the review episode, Harry's so reckless, then why on earth would you put him in charge of hiring people? In the novelization, Harry uh, goes back to his desk. Quote, Outside, Harry could see the flickering lights of rush hour traffic on Bryant Street moving towards the Bay Bridge. Somewhere, Harry thought enviously, somebody was sitting down right now to a nice home-cooked dinner made by a beautiful wife. After that, they would go upstairs and make love for several hours. Somewhere, but not here. Who might you be? <laughs> Harry obviously knows these two guys. He's he's just said hello Kraus to one of them. Great green set here, isn't it? Well, great or horrible depending on your point of view. Mrs. Thatcher over there. She was in Blackula. She plays a waitress in every which way but loose and was also co-starring with Eastwood in a very early movie, Lafayette Escadrille. People said Eastwood looks like he's asleep in this movie. Um, 
but Walt Murray was saying, you know, it's, he's just tired of the same old stupidity of his superiors all the time, but I don't know. Harry looks like he's about to nod off. Enforcer, Harry's, this is the most talkative he's been. He, in the first two movies, Harry says cool things, but here he's just quipping all the time. <laughs> oh God, I have to pretend to work. Tyndale has Harry's hair. Now, in his mind, he's legitimately going over her qualification. Maybe not politely, not the most delicately, but in his mind, you have to ask these hard questions. But then again, you let Linguini be on the force, and he's a porky specimen (laughs) who can't do any of these things. The first scenario with the first cop in the in the movie, in the scene, that was sort of describing the, the Scorpio case. So Harry's really putting it to her. <laughs> Hit the deck. Novelization. Females. It was something he had still not resigned himself to. Female police. Not that Harry considered himself a chauvinist, but he had been a police officer for a long time, and he had no illusions about how demanding and dangerous the job was. Harry simply did not think most women were up to the job physically. For that matter, few men were. End quote. She'll put on a show. In the novel, after this scene, he has to he goes to the goes out for lunch with uh, guard, uh, with Linguini, commiserating on um, all these recruits that he's had to review this afternoon. And he he tells to Giorgio, "There's a woman," and Frank says, "Any of them good looking, Harry?" Harry says. They're all dogs with hairy legs and fat butts from sitting down all day twirling pencils. Women inspectors. If I had any sense at all, I'd quit today and go get myself a job parking cars. In the novels, Harry is much more of an asshole. <laughs> now here we are, night time on Market Street. And we have our connect motley crew of people, Lalo. <laughs> the driver's Lalo, Lalo, named, of course, after the the composer of the score. The obligatory rehearse the plan. Now, what are we doing? Carl and Tex? Wanda. Great headband, Wanda. 
There's Mickey, not wearing a sexy uh, high waist shorts. Mickey. Laws rockets. Light anti-tank weapon system. Wanda has a small bit role in the gauntlet. <laughs> yeah, go for the people, man. <laughs> the tutor room looks dodgy. Even more dark now. In the novel, it says they're going to Pier 50. And the guard that's about to come out to greet them, the old man, is called Pop Siegel. <laughs> and is six months before retirement. Gas leak. You old man, your liverwurst sandwiches. <laughs> I won't, I won't. Do they really need six people to... To do this? Light horror music, B-grade horror music. <laughs> oh, fun fact, uh, I forgot to mention this uh, bad guy, Bobby Maxwell, played by Deveron Bookwalter, was also the naked man snorting cocaine who, who was shot by David Soul in Magnum Force. Novelization, quote, Bobby could barely contain his glee. All these weapons were fantastic. With it, they would be better equipped than the police were. They would be an army. They would turn the city into a battleground. They would make the Watts riots look like a Sunday school picnic. The pigs, the mare, the fat cats, all of them would be scared shitless before he was through. And... He would be rich to boot. Far fucking out. End quote. Hamilton Firearms Company. Come on, boys. Let's get him. Dangerous. Props guys put a done a good job of putting HF Hamilton Firearms and all the all these canisters. Good job. And here's to Giorgio. He knows all the Night Watchmen. Wasting fuel, man. Turn the car off. Something's amiss. The bad guys didn't even uh, try and hide the body. The six of you, lazy. De Giorgio, this time has gone through a fence. He didn't have to climb, fatso. Doesn't have a warrant. There's Mickey. 
Helen Hunt. And there is a bazooka. Oh, sorry, Law's Rocket. I love the torches in America film, American films. These big metallic things. Don't see them around here much. Freeze! Like Scorpio. Like a statue. Shut up and listen. <laughs> Go to Giorgio. Taking names. Nice try, Missy. Just shut up and listen. I give you a certain amount of time to get from... Bobby Maxwell, where's he? <sighs> I guess this is... I guess this is filmed relatively well. Competent. It's just the bad guys I don't care about. Lelo's acting alright. But all the others are nothing. <gasps> well, at least you won't have to waste your Cambodian grass on her. Ooh. Frank Linguini Maybe you should fire somewhere And it looks like they've gotten away. And here's Gardino. Looking very, very 70s in this installation. Very tanned. This was a real hospital they filmed at, apparently. I don't know if it had a rooftop respite area, like Chico had. <laughs> mm, big tie. Ferris Webster, the editor in this movie, very crotchety old guy apparently, said, I need more coverage.
Now, Gardino's wife here, Irene, is played by an actress called Adele Prume. Probably also a San Fran local, because she's in So I Married an Axe Murderer. And Mrs. Doubtfire as well. It's a war, isn't it? It's a war on crime that never ends. In the novel, we find out that Harry's ex-wife is now called Louise, not Bernice. It's all over the shop. We discover that uh, Frank, his wife Irene and Harry often go to Bodega Bay, which is about an hour away. And they go camping together and and uh, Harry helped fix their holiday house. And often they went to the racetrack of a weekend, apparently. The Fillmore District. Summer of 71. Is it the butcher knife and hard-on summer? <laughs> or another occasion? In the novel, we get a insight into Harry's religiousness, quote, Harry was a man without religious conviction. Things happened, or they didn't. The why of it was beyond his understanding. John Mitchum's been a great um, mainstay of these first three movies, and uh, it's going to be sad to see him go. Hmm... Is that a picture of a graveyard behind Harry? A rubber chicken. <laughs> What's that about? The novel tells us that Bressler's daughter Fran is graduating today and she has a, a scholarship to Berkeley for pre-med. Harry's jacket looks a bit stylish for him. It's very thin and it's got no collar. Don't think it provides much heat for those cold San Fran nights. <laughs> Great line. And another hard cut. To our good friend McKay.
bit more of an executive type than a policeman, this Bradford. He definitely hasn't come up through the ranks. And great teeth, yeah. Militants. Why does he think it's militants? In the previous scene, he was going on about, you know, Harry, don't always be so keen to finger the minorities. And now he thinks it's, uh, it's those minorities. Yeah, Harry knows all this shit. Partner. Oh, her. Very unrealistic again that the police department would partner Callahan with her, particularly with his track record. And wasn't Harry supposed to be an embarrassment just, you know, a few scenes earlier? Clip-clop, clip-clop, she's running after him. Walk and talk, walk and talk. Elevator and talk. Marvellous. In the novel, it's outstanding, which seems to be the catchphrase here. It's marvellous. Law's Rocket. A phallic symbol that made Callahan's hitherto famous magnum seem like a cap gun. Now, this army instructor was, uh, apparently plays a Russian soldier in stripes. And that's about it. So there you go. Don't look so tanned in this shot, Gardino. Careful. Careful. In the novel, there's a lot of scenes where Tyne Daly's character's in the toilet and Harry's waiting on her. There's not too many of them in the movie. Now, the bad guys in this movie are sort of a weird amalgam of the Symbionese Liberation Army and also elements of the Weathermen or the Weather Underground Organization um, who let off a lot of bombs and things in the 60s, early 70s, um, apparently in sort of retaliation for the the police's harassment of the Black Panthers. These white people, uh, sorry, white College students are radicals, mostly. Um, and the scene we're about to see, of course, the scene we're about to see, of course, has a uh, a bomb detonating. Often the weather men would, or the weather, well, I forget what they're called exactly, would announce beforehand that bombs have been placed in uh, police departments and universities and judges' offices and things. Panducci in 68. The novel says that was a big narcotic sting. 
that earned Harry four bravery recommendations. Ooh. Now we've seen this guy before in the van. Coroner's office. Don't concern yourself. This is sort of Moore's catchphrase in the film. Which, I don't know about you, but I think it's maybe even a bit better than Marvelous. I don't think that condenser mic hanging down is going to pick up the best <laughs> at that distance. Now apparently there's a green filter overlaid on her face to aid uh, Tyne Daly's nauseous reaction to what's happening, but I can't really see it. It looks pretty red to me. See if you can spot it. Forerunner, great shadow work here. Is there a green filter across her face? I always think of that Simpsons episode where Burns uses Homer's brain, <laughs> scoops it out with an ice cream. Ice cream scoop. How does this help them at all? <laughs> A murder. Luigi's. Very insensitive. Linguini has just died. Bad laughter. We've seen this little corridor in, uh, in Magnum Force at night when, uh, a few times with Charlie McCoy and uh, with Early after the scene at the shooting range. Oh, they've heard something. Big bomb running, running. More bombs. A bit of that Magnum Force magic again. This was actually the police department, we're told. Not a soundstage. As mentioned before, the weather underground often, or a few times, placed a bomb in, in a woman's bathroom, even in the Pentagon, I think. And on one occasion, the damage caused flooding. It destroyed computer tapes holding classified information, so... Ooh, funny. And we're about to see Harry walk past... Or have we already seen it? The honour board from the... The first movie, all the fallen police officers. And we'll also see that again in Sudden Impact. Oh, there we are, on the right, right now, look. 
Yeah. Gardino. He's got his tan back. In the behind-the-scenes footage, Maggie Eastwood, Clint's wife, was at the filming of the of this scene. Um, I don't know if she bumped into Sandra Locke on the set. <laughs> Very sexist, that little exchange there. Honey, do you mind? Why didn't that detector go off with Harry's cannon? <laughs> Tan hat and suitcase. This is the start of a very, in my opinion, very good and long rooftop chase. Quote, Moore uses every shred of dignity she can muster while performing chase scenes in knee-length suede boots and carrying a huge purse. Bin. The weathermen actually bombed two police precincts in San Francisco in the 70s and then even followed up with a bomb at the uh, Richard Keel lookalike. I bombed the, the funeral services of the police officer that was killed. I happen to like this uh, passage of music. It's not particularly Lalo-esque, but it's got a nice little feel about it. I think it matches the action. God, I love San Francisco. Damn it. Onto the roof. Run, Henry Lee. Run, Harry. Good work. Chestnut and Grant. Fong's Market. No. Another VB. Volkswagen Beetle. Is she going to trip? Benson and Hedges. Great shot. This is good. This is pretty good 70s filmmaking, I think. Oh, there's a man in the background there. See him? Man's gone. Shoots the antenna. This is all around Telegraph Hill, I think, and Giardelli Square. Took three days to shoot this scene. Pew! What's she gonna do? She's running. Henry Lee. Some of those smokestacks, chimneys, looked like a lighthouse the one Clint was 
next to jumping down from now. Yeah, those two of the orange sort of um heads look like lighthouses. Henry's running, looking back, oh, falls through the window. What looks to be a pawn shoot. You'll see the AFL CIO, at least it's a union pawn thing. Some s <laughs> Ah, the guy with the beard, the goatee, the Van Dyke. What's Harry gonna do? He's just gonna jump in. Taking their time to uh, robe up. The horse has bolted, they've seen ya. Back to more running. Does Boston have these sort of wooden dwellings as well? Reminds me a bit of Mystic River. We've got a cactus there and some um, Mesoamerican painting, so I suspect we're in the mission now. In the novelization, they're running to St. Ambrose Church. Is it locked? Is it not? Now, the actor who plays the Reverend here is played by a Bay Area disc jockey by the name of M.G. Kelly, which explains why he's got such a great voice. Credentials. Teaching credentials? This could be the only movie in which Harry actually reads someone their rights. Ah, oh, his partner made it. In the movie, in the novelization it says his partner holded a pistol as if it were a chamber pot. The personnel were right, I think. She is a good partner if she can keep up with Harry. Once again, I don't know why they bring Bressler back again. Although we get to find out his middle name is Jay, you can see on the, uh, on the window. Very strange shot of... Looks funny, Harry, with his hands in his pocket. It's not very alert and quick. That's something a slacker would do. Now, in the novelization, they they raid Henry Lee's house and um, find dynamite in his closet, and Harry beats him up. We don't get that scene here. Dynamite. What a tie. She's handling her end of the log in the toilet. Now in the novel it says that Harry has a racing green Corvette, which shows the author doesn't really know much about the character, would never have such a flash car. There's a VW Beetle. Very few whites. In the novel, we find out she grew up in Hunter's Point, saying she can handle herself. 
I suspect that's that's a part of uh, part of town that is a bit dicey. Big Ed Mustafa. In the novel, it's Big Ed Mohammed. Now, Uhuru is Swahili for freedom. Uh, in the making of, Clint accidentally pronounces Uhuru as Uganda. Olympia beer they're drinking that pops up in a few Clint's Clint, few of Clint's movie. Lady Fuzz. Bit of a double entendre there. I'm not sure if they're aware of. There he is, Big Ed Mustafa. Wearing what I found out is called a dashiki. Dashiki, a West African robe. And he's got on what appears to be a cancer necklace. Always a bit of astrology in these movies. Hmm, Harry's just left her there to look after herself. Now, Big Ed, these Uhuru militants, ironically enough, they're one of the two smarter militant organisations. He's the only one that seems to have a bit of depth. And here they're toying with the idea, maybe he is the bank robber from the first movie. I don't know. I think we're led... We're supposed to think that's a possibility. There's a Buddha on his front desk. Very colourful room. Apparently Clint kept stumbling over that line, Hamilton Firearms Company, (laughs) according to the director also said it was really difficult to shoot this was a really small room um, with no windows or they've covered up a window anyway it was very hard to get a two shot a master shot so they had to do it in, in pairs like this he's sort of spouting a reverse Charles Manson uh, theory about there being a race war between whites and then the blacks will come up Stone cold waste of white. He said it with some venom, so maybe Bobby and Ed Mustafa have actually crossed paths in the past. Maybe in Vietnam, or maybe just uh, in the battle for the neighborhood. <laughs> a little warm and a little small fry, Clint, Harry. You're not going to take him to jail for that. We can only assume that they, in the front room, the uh, the guys are giving Officer Moore, Inspector Moore's feet, shoes a good shining. What drink is he supping on? Is it a gin or is it whiskey? 
moonshine. Oh, sorry, there's the line. Nice little artwork abstract of some AK-47s behind Clint. Are we going to get some background about why Clint does it all? Nope, just some oblique cool cinematic line for us to smile at. In the novel, Harry's true cause is decency and common sense. He does what he does for the powerless. Moore always wants to make sure Harry's giving her a proper account. Marvelous. Probably the only real catchphrase in this movie. Marvelous. Is it better or not better than the one in later sequels? Swell. Now this next scene was added by Dean Reisner, reportedly, when he he was a bit of a script doctor to the uh, the script by Siliphant and the in the students. And uh, Reisner apparently always likes to add in confrontation scenes. This one, of course. Won't have Harry. <laughs> Beverly Hills Cop 3. You should have called SWAT. Here's the gang. Surprised uh, McKay is actually there <laughs> at the coalface. Now that long-haired guy with the snub-nose revolver pistol is Fritz Lang. Uh, sorry, Fritz Mains. Fritz Mains, a long-time uh, childhood friend, I think, or a military friend from the Fort Ord days in the 50s of Clint and a production manager or producer up until they sort of fell out after Heartbreak Ridge, I think. The director wished he'd filmed a scene showing McKay setting this up. Because as we see, it's unclear whether Harry is in on the raid or not, whether he's screwed over Ed Mustafa. In the novel, it makes that clear. And I think in the movie too, it's sort of... Harry's deal with Mustafa looks legitimate. We have the mayor. We haven't seen a mayor of San Fran since the first movie. Here he's played by John Crawford. I'll look him up. He hasn't done anything particularly of note, although, funny enough, he was in The Towering Inferno, where he played a character called Callahan. We don't know what platform the mayor was elected on. Presumably the platform of being stylish as Harry joked. Oh, Bradford looks so pleased. 
He's almost cracking a, a fat, I think. Oh, God, I'm going to be honoured. Strange things were happening in San Francisco in real life, sort of from this period on, 76 to 78. You've got the assassination of Harvey Milk and uh, the Liberal Mayor Moscone in November of 78, which happened just a few weeks after the the Jonestown uh, massacre in, in South America. Um, apparently he had a whole lot of weird sort of um, teacher congregations, new cults, for lack of a better word, around the Western Edition part of San Francisco, just one of many strange movements in the city at the time. And what are, what are Harry and Moore doing here? Were they summoned here, or...? Surely they wouldn't have turned up without being briefed on what they were coming here for. Oh, this mayor's aide looks so, so happy. Bressler in the background, he's smiling so much. Harry must know, or must know something's up. Or Clint does the good greasy look. A lot of journalists there, I think. Maybe the mayor of San Francisco is a lot bigger deal than the mayors we have in Melbourne and so forth, but maybe they just go to the opening of an envelope. Jimmy? He looks a bit like someone from a Godfather movie or something, doesn't he? I don't know those movies very well, but maybe a Jim Cazaley or something. Letter of commendation. It just sounds like something that only exists in movies. Commendation. I commend you. <laughs> It's above a certificate, but below a medal. Oh, Clint does the greasy so well. Mr. Mayor? Bressler's got a headache. Terrorists. Walk and talk, walk and talk, walk and talk. Listeners will know, of course, this staircase is made famous by many movies, but none more so than for people of our generation than Indiana Jones. Sorry, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Look how many journalists there are there. What did you say? Stick it in your ass. Well, it's not that bad. Not as bad as up your ass. I'm not sure we know... Who really wrote that line? Some say it was Clint. Clint came up with it on the spot. 
or the director did. I don't think it's in the novelization. But such a good line, I can readily appreciate why everyone would want to lay claim to it. You're semi-friends now, Tyndale. You don't have to call an inspector. Oh, that's better. Harry, slow down. The sound of her shoes sort of sounds like Lisa Simpson's sandals. <laughs> like she's struggling to uh, keep up. Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the 78 remake, of course. I think ends near these, whatever these trees are, when you find out that Donald Sutherland has become one of them pod people. Now in a minute or two, we're about to go to Coit Tower, where we can hear some really bad ADR from memory, probably because of the wind. I've been there twice and it can be quite windy there. In the novel they go to Golden Gate Park instead of um, Telegraph Hill where we learn that uh, Harry often went to Golden Gate with his wife. And we learn that Tyne Daly herself was married for six months but it didn't work out. Also we learn she wanted to be a lawyer originally but decided that the courts didn't work properly. So she's certainly on Harry's wavelength. We're coming up on a on a place where a deleted scene was. Um at Clint's request they wanted he wanted to improvise a bar scene between Harry and Moore. They actually ended up filming it. And there's a funny line about her not keeping up beers with Harry and she had to go to the toilet but the scene overall didn't work so it was deleted quite rare for Clint to do a, an improvisational scene he obviously thought things were going quite well with Tyne Daly it's going quite well now where are they off to <laughs> looks very windy doesn't it you can probably forgive them for the bad ADR. In the novelization, Harry asks um, Moore to go to the races with him on the weekend. The Harry I know from the first two films doesn't look like the gambling type, but there you go. So it's intimated here that uh, maybe they're Maybe they will post bail for Mustafa. Here we are. Not a bad idea. Here's a bit of the novelization about Moore, or Harry's thoughts on Moore. Well, at least she doesn't talk much. If there is one thing he could not stand, it was a talkative partner. They would be yapping away, shooting the breeze, when something important happened. Besides, Harry did not like having to make conversation. Unlike other men, he did not talk about sports or women. 
the two major topics of male conversation. The only thing Harry knew and was interested in was his job, police work. That was what he understood and what he did best. There really was nothing else. Is that apple juice or beer? Supposed to be apple juice. Or maybe Harry is like Gandhi and uh, drinks his own urine every day. Put in the phosphates that uh, the hot dogs normally tag out. And here we are at a baseball game. Candlestick Park. Um, apparently this is the Giants playing the Cincinnati Reds. And it's a real baseball game in August 1976. Pete Rose, whoever he is, is seen striking out uh, to the end of the top of the second inning with Johnny Bench and Gary Nolan left on base. Fun fact, in the novel it's not the Cincinnati Reds, but the Astros that the Giants are playing from Houston. I don't know if that would have been a more riveting or less riveting game. Even in its heyday, the uh, the stadium, by all records, was quite a dump. It was hard to get to from the city, Candlestick Park. Very cold and unpleasant, which meant even celebrities were less likely to come because the best seats, ironically, were the cheapest, were up the top. Where well, the cheap seats are at the top because they had sunlight. Is their van? Do we get to see the atomic mushroom cloud? I'm not sure. Looks like the mayor's just got his own car. There's no cavalcade. Pretty surprising that a mayor of a large city like San Francisco would travel anywhere without a car. A few police cars following him, but there you go. Ooh, what do you call those red comet? This bridge operator was also in the 78 version of the Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Think, just passed another gasometer, which we haven't seen since the first Dirty Harry, around where uh, Charlie Russell was killed. Now the mayor's driver, actor called Art Rimsius, uh, was in a few Clint films from seventy, the early seventies to about now, The Beguiled, The Breezy, and The Judge in the Gauntlet. James Bond movie. Taser gun. The guy at the door, the back rear door is in any which way.
We get a lot of exposure to the bad guys, they certainly get a lot of screen time, but we know nothing about them. It certainly showed a lot. Here we are at Pier 62 apparently. Now I'm not sure but I think this drawbridge may be featured in the Deadpool when the RC car chase is happening and it may also be seen in the car chase of Magnum Force, I'm not quite sure. Pretty nice shot, I think. Pew, pew. <laughs> Shades of Magnum Force there. The hell you aren't. Come on, in a real movie it should be. The hell you ain't! Willard, Marine. Of course, Sandra Locke, not in this movie, was in the original version of Willard, of Bruce Davison. Here's a bit of Harry's eating habits in the novel. Harry opened the refrigerator door. He selected a slice of bologna and a slice of American cheese. He slapped the two together, folded them over, and shoved them in his mouth, downing the sandwich in two bites. Callahan's eating habits were almost as legendary as his prowess with the handgun. It was well known, for example, that he often ate cheese, bacon, and banana sandwiches, seemingly without ill effects. You're rapping with Bubba. Now this is also true to life with the real SLA, the Symbionese Liberation Army, those dopes that kidnapped Patty Hearst in the early 70s. They distributed radio-quality like pre-recorded interviews in which they explained their uh, activities and um, sometimes also publicly advertised their demands. For the press, man. <laughs> Oh, 70s, 70s, 70s. Does Harry strike you as a pool player? In the novel, there's a scene where Bressler and McKay try and track him down at his house, and the landlady says you might find him at Kelly's, where he plays pool. His address, his address is given as Russian Hill.
when the SLA kidnapped Patty Hearst, they didn't ask for money. They Well, they asked for money in a roundabout way. They wanted their members to be released from jail and millions of dollars to go to food distributions to the poor. Great teeth, Bradford. <laughs> it's coming. In the novel, McKay pleads with him more. Come on, Harry, you gotta be a team player. And he goes, the last time we played as a team, I got a bat stuck up my ass. A hundred dollars to anyone who figures out what Harry is eating. It's not a hot dog. Is it gelati? Ice cream? He should have said, you guts to be kidding. <laughs> now, did he say queer or ear? Like an ear, you're a dobber, you tell on people, you're a rat. Or did he say queer? Because if he did, you are a homophobic asshole, Harry. Or just another reason they call him Dirty Harry. God, Albert Popwell's good, isn't he? The bread man. They just want money. Tiffany's. Thanks. Great mural there. Are they still in the mission? A lot of people think that uh, Big Ed, his conversion from a black separatist is pretty unbelievable. Why he really cares. Do him in. What has really transpired between him and those honkies? Tiffany's. San Francisco Giants. Bit of Vaseline on the lens in these scenes to make it look a bit hazy. I wonder if that was a stylistic choice or just the San Francisco frog. <laughs> in the novel he says, my brother Bradford McKay. Larry Dickman, of course, is a, the name of a character he has in the Iger Sanction. I think it has its origins in a Don Rickles joke. Or he used that name and uh, Clint picked it up for a few movies. Oddly enough, it's a massage titty parlour, but uh, it's quite odd. We're not going to see any nudity, I don't think. Quite odd for a 76 movie not to throw some titillation in. Inflation calculation, 75 bucks. Quite a sizable amount of money for no 
actual skin on skin, I would have thought. Very hazy. <laughs> A rubber dolly. <laughs> Take your duds off. You're not WandaVision. He ain't no limp dummy. He's Larry Dickman. This is the first time we've ever seen Harry Strong arm a woman in the Dirty Harry series. It's unfortunately not going to be his last, but uh, another reason why they call him Dirty. The movie's lacking from a, is suffering from a lack of pace at this point. We really should have shorter scenes, more frantic, and you know, times of the essence. We've still got another 20 minutes to go, and it things should be moving in a bigger clip, I think. In the novel, we find out these women are earning $1.50 an hour to make their fake letters. And Harry says, you know, what are you doing for $1.50? And they say, have you ever tried living on Social Security, son? No. Then don't knock it. Punk. Everyone's using that word. Now, Buczynski is the real last name of Charles Bronson, who, of course, as we've discussed, was Eastwood's box office rival for most of the 70s. It's a bit of nod to your friend-slash-rival there. The actor Bob Hoy was in a few movies with Clint, even some in the 50s, Francis in the Navy, Revenge of the Creature, um, and also Josie Wales earlier or the previous year. Now, I think this toilet-dipping gag in all pop culture, I think it works better in the US where toilets actually have a ledge <laughs> inside, you know, to presumably inspect your shit. Whereas in other countries, you could really break your neck or, or, or face, do a bit of damage if you did that to a person. Once again, it's a bit of an anticlimax. You've got a hero here just sitting down, static, you know, learning the current play of things, what his colleagues are doing, but the story's not advancing at all. He's just sitting down for a beer. It's not the time to relax, man. 
weird halting of action. But we're about to have our obligatory TV turning off scene, which seems to happen in every movie, <laughs> maybe even originated in the Harry series. True to life too, the weatherman and the SLA um, often got started from sort of progressive radical teachers giving seminars in prison. Fessenheim. It's a real life event I found out in Paris where two bomb bombs were blown up near a nuclear plant. Which maybe is being referenced in the bad guy's van, the atomic cloud. <laughs> this shot reminds me of either the Omega Man or Beneath the Planet of the Apes. <laughs> he can't get a warrant. He never can get a warrant, man. Surely the priest can see him from his periphery, or is he just trying to ignore him like a bad fart? Why are the parishioners leaving quickly? Do they see the uh, agent, the agent nun of death coming, or are they in on it? All we'll see that set really shook, very cheap. Very cheap. These people are at war. A nod to what to Georgia's wife said. Everyone thinks it's a zero-sum game, you know. The whole system's got to be supported or destroyed. Look at her hands. Good one time daily. You've saved Harry's life. You're up there with Chico now. Good acting in a cheap set. Pretty good acting in a cheap set. This is the San Francisco Fire Department's boat called Phoenix, which the internet says is still in service today. In movie question, who's driving the boat? Someone who owes Harry a favour? Or did he just present his badge and say, take me there now? I think we can reliably say this was the first movie filmed on Alcatraz since its closure.
but I don't know for certain. In a few years it'll feature more prominently in Escape from Alcatraz. Out of focus shot of henchman waiting to shoot. Out of focus, always a gun that jams. <laughs> oh, you can see it, Phoenix, there it is. So slow. I'm sure you... No Wilhelm scream, though. The soundtrack coming up... Um... Yeah, it reminds me of the Temple of Doom, you know, the insect scene. <laughs> There's Lalo, the character. Don't know if I mentioned it, but his name, the actor's name is Michael Cavanaugh. Kavanagh, he's in the gauntlet any which way, and also, like Mickey before him, in an episode of Cagney and Lacey. <laughs> Moore's finding another way around, again proving she's not scared, keeps her cool, and keeps her intelligent uh, intuition. People look out for Harry's watch. Very swank. Too cool for him, I think. Some nice succulents there. Easy to grow. Easy to leave unattended. I have many in my backyard. They look aqu aquatic to me. That's why I've always liked them. Only a few years earlier we had the in Native American Indian um, takeover of the island. It's quite expensive to run in real life. Although by the time of uh, Escape from Alcatraz, tourists were already beginning to pump in and they had to film at night for that very reason. So this could be a rare glimpse of the island after the Indian occupation, but before tourists were allowed. What's your favourite movie about The Rock? Is it The Rock? Is it Escape from Alcatraz? Is it Birdman of Alcatraz with Telly Savellas and uh, Bird Lancaster? Who knows? Freeze!
very interesting here. Very interesting. Nice shirt Lalo's got. Very slowly. Put down the weapon. And then on the deck and spread your legs. That great sexual reversal of a woman calling the shots. So great. You know they used it in the trailer. You guessed wrong, Lalo. He's like a thinner John Mitchum. Bobby Maxwell's gonna get mad. The actor, um, Deveron. Brooke Walter, unfortunately passed away in his early 40s or something. Oh, walk out. Ooh. Shot in the boobs. Must have been very difficult at script when writing the script. A male partner death, you know, it's always easy to kill off a man, but I would imagine finding a suitable way for a woman to be killed. Um... Has to be a bit dignifying. Ugh. Did it have to be in the boobs? Don't concern yourself, Harry. Into the underworld I go first. Shades of when Indy's Chinese waiter is killed in the uh, Obi-Wan club. Where are you going? What's your plan? Do you think the mayor's helicopter is going to pick you up just because you're at an elevated position? Who's he shooting at? Harry? Okay. Not exactly clear. You fucking fruit. Bit of odd homophobia there. Once again, you didn't see Harry point the bazooka at you. Very nice shot, though. Very well shot. And again, it jams. M16s, you should have an AK-47. Aren't you thinking where Harry is? Oh, you are now? Oh, God!
This movie is about to end in a wet fart. That said, I, I love Eastwood. I love the character of Dirty Harry. And this movie still has that 70s sense of watchability, but it's definitely inferior. I think you could see the mayor before wearing some knee pads under his pants. Do we get to see another shot of his legs? Maybe not. I'll have to go back and have a look if I cared. Can't you give him something more than a commendation? You know he didn't want it. The least you can make sure that uh, Inspector Moore gets her name on the Wall of Honor. To chopper. We're about to have a helicopter shot, I would think. This looks like a process shot. Look at the quality of it. Maybe they didn't get the footage. It just looks very like it's 16 mil or washed out or something. Maxwell. We can hear Captain McKay in a helicopter. We have your money. A plane is waiting for you. <laughs> Just like Scorpio, huh? Caving in. So once again, if you, if you suffer sequelitis, you know, you hate sequels normally. I don't think there's anything in this one that will particularly fight against that judgment. Um, if it had been more Harry and more, like the original script, it might have been more interesting. Or somehow, if there were more or less scenes of the bad guys to make them interesting enigmatic. Because, you know, it's going to be another seven years before we get the next installment. You know, as they say, um, Harry movies are only out for Republican presidents. <laughs> so Harry's about to go into, quote, mothballs during the Carter administration. Douglas Cook, rip. Ken Adams, not to be confused with the Bond set designer, Ken Adam. Well, many thanks for joining me for this review of The Enforcer. Um, probably catch you next time for some sort of discussion about sudden impact. Fades to black and good bye.